This episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast is brought to you by Janine Ronaldo's Evil School for Bad Little Boys and Girls Who've Made Up Words. Teacher, I made up a new word. That's disgusting. But Go I down like it. to the slave room for I, bad boys. <laughs> don't make me. I hate children. <laughs> this can't be right, right? Hi, everyone, and welcome to your home. I am one of your dads, Aaron. I try to be your dad every week. And as you know, your other dad, Sean, is uh, he's still down in the basement working on stuff. He won't tell us what it is. Yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. We should go check on what Sean's been working on. Just go down the stairs here. His secret downstairs workshop. And Sean. Sean. Yeah. What's going on? It's been months. You're oh, down I'm here in close. the workshop. I'm close. I'm coming in. Oh, can you just wait? I'm up. coming in. Okay, yeah, yeah. Come over right there. What a tool. This must be quite the invention. What's oh, I told a- you. It's something big. I've been working on it. I'm really excited. It's not quite ready. So please, if you could save your comments so it's when it's ready. I just, I need. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll try my I best. I need encouragement though. right now. I don't need criticism. It's okay. not finished yet. Sure. Okay, so I've just so excited. put this velvet cloth over it while you're coming in and I'm about to pull that off. So can't wait. And here it is. That's some letters in an order that don't normally go. It's a new word. A new word. Oh. It's going to be really useful. And then <laughs> it's help a lot how of... does that tie into what you've been working on? I, this, this is what I've been working on. I've been inventing a new word. But that's not a real word. It's new. It, 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 it'll be real when people start using it. It's useful. It, it describes something. Uh, let me just Google that to see if that word is real, because I'm pretty sure it's not a real word. Just well, you're not going to find this. it because I invented it. Yeah. So okay. Well, maybe maybe this will help. Over here, underneath this velvet tablecloth, I've yeah. got the definition. You're being a bad dad right now. Oh, I'm We've being been, a bad dad. You haven't been making any money for months. Oh uh, gosh, sorry. I've I'm been such raising a bad the kids. Dad. I'm spending all my time raising our oh, son. Bad dad. Working yeah, on a big a project and change society. We need to support our family. Well, when the word picks up then people are going to say, who made this? Nobody will care who made it. Yeah, they will. They'll be really excited for me. I, I Maybe. But either way, they're not going to pay you. And that's pay. Not, it's not going to put food in our son's belly. Well, thanks for the support. Did you even go to our son's play last week? Uh, you I, well, I sat next to an empty chair. It doesn't even matter if I was at the play. You take that back. It, it does w- matter. Our son but is starving I'll- to death. You're working on oh. silly words. Oh, he's starving to death. Sounds like you've been a real good dad. Yeah, I it was your been, job to feed him while I was working on this word. Yeah, miracle! I've kept him fed this long. Oh well, you didn't say, "Hey, there's a problem out here." I trusted you. My mistake number two, I guess. What's mistake number one? <laughs> Trusting you. Oh, I'm gonna physically fight you. I will beat you down until you're bloody. I've been making new words for several months. You think I can't punch yeah, a dad? Yeah, I think your noodle arms have withered away. Is hey, you? what's that behind you? Well, the right hook over here. Uh, no, uh, you're a bad dad. Oh, oh, oh God, man, I tricked you. Oh, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. That stings. You don't do that. Good dad got good aim. You're a bad dad. You are bad. Got you. Oh, oh, gotcha. Uh, bad dad. I'm more attractive than you are. Ugly dad. Uh, ugly. You're an ugly dad. I'm a beautiful dad. I'm a beautiful good dad. I'm going to take the position for the purposes of the discussion to say new words are bad, old words, good. How old? Like, when's the cutoff? Hmm. The 50s? <laughs> so does it move forward? Like in 10 years, will it be the 60s or is it just forever the 50s? Yeah, yeah forever the 50s, just going forward. Okay, well, at least that's consistent. Because I was going to say, if it does move forward, <laughs> then that would mean we should still make up new words, but they're just bad until they're, yeah, they've been around years. for 70 years. <laughs> yeah. And then they become good. No, the last good new word was invented in the 70s. And then after that, we got to cut it off. Okay, no, actually, I'm just kidding. I think that creating new words is something that is part of our language, it's part of our society, it's how we communicate with each other, it's the reason why the English language and any other language has all of this 
incredible variation in how we're able to articulate ourselves because we don't, as a species, we don't limit ourselves to a rote book of existing rules. Like we don't live by the dictionary. Yeah. They try to do that in France. Like what words are officially French words and which ones aren't. I, I don't know much about it, but I know there's some attempt to like have this official canon and like, oh, that's not a real word is like a statement that has some meaning in France, French, as opposed to like Quebecois French and stuff, which is more loose and flowing. And like they, there isn't that attempt to control it. But like, I mean, when you think about it, all words had to have been invented at some point. If mm-hmm. we didn't come up with new words, there would be no words. So it, it's just weird that there is this sort of reactionary sentiment against new words. Like people don't like it a lot of the time when they hear a new word come about. Like there's there's suspicion. You know, people just don't like change. And new words are incredibly useful because there's always new vistas of experience opening up. And if we don't make new words to talk about those things, then that we're just cutting off parts of reality from language, which is counter to the entire purpose of language. Yeah. And it's also really useful for compressing, I think, big ideas down to small amounts of syllables. So you can take something where you you have this really big, complex idea, and then you boil it down to something that's easily repeatable, And where you're able to summarize this enormous thing with something very, very brief. So like if you're using existing language only, it might take a paragraph to describe an idea. But if you have the boldness to create a new word, that new word can take the place of the entirety of that paragraph. Every time that concept needs to be referred to for whatever purpose, you can just use this word in the place of writing out that whole paragraph, which is an efficiency for society to have that. That's the whole power of language is this ability to nest concepts. That compression is essential to all language. Because even just to say, hey, Sean, you're sitting on my couch right now. You have to know that couch means that soft thing with cushions that we sit on. You have to know that sitting means resting on one's buttocks. So this this ability to nest larger ideas inside of one word and then take those and put them into sentences and nest them into yet more ideas, it's why we're able to think efficiently. Like it's the main thing, in my opinion, that distinguishes humans from other animals is nested conceptual thought and the ability to communicate like that. Like, I completely advocate for conscious neologism, that is, creating words, looking where there's a need for a word that might make it easier to communicate. Part of the appeal of neologism for me is the idea that we don't have the language to articulate our own unfreedoms some of the time, or we don't have the right language to articulate our love to each other, our duty to each other, our position in society and the world that we want to build together. And because of that absence of language, or at least accessible language, there might be ways to consciously create language to fill those gaps and design a more perfect society in the future. So that's my position, but also to understand the alternative position that's against the creation of new words, I think it's seen by some people as like creating your own nickname to say, like, call me Jet from now on. It's just like, right. no, that's not how it works, man. Like, you got to let us decide what your nickname is or whether you get one at all. So being like, okay, guys, from now on, this word means this. It's like, mm, that's not really how language picks up. Sorry, dude. No, I mean, that makes sense to an extent. I, I think showing people that it's useful is a lot more useful than just claiming that it's useful. And especially if people can infer it from context, what you mean by it. Because if you demonstrate that the word is useful, rather than like, I have invented a new word and here it is, just start using the word. Yeah, well, I, I think that's definitely where it picks up because we sort of intuitively when we hear other people using words based on context, we can figure out maybe 60, 70% of what it means. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to look up in the dictionary to be sure. But like hearing words in action is definitely the way that I've picked up on words. Most people learn most words, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the definition of a neologism from Wikipedia is a relatively recent or isolated term, word, or phrase that may be in the process of entering common use but has not been fully accepted into mainstream language. So there's debate over like when a word becomes not neo anymore, not new. It's sort of a weird thing about it because like there's neologisms, 
but there's no logisms. Words aren't called logisms. Yeah. That's actually a neologism. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're just called words. Yeah. Uh, so it says neologisms are often directly attributable to a specific person, publication, period, or event. Mm -hmm. They're often created by combining existing words, uh, like compound words, or by adding unique suffixes or prefixes, or portmanteauing words, where you take bits of two words and combine them together, like brunch is their example. Brunch, yeah. So if you make up an entirely new word that you're like, oh, it's the sloom blah blah, like sloom blah blah sounds like shit. No one would ever use that. If right, you're like, exactly. oh, bingo wing bung is my new <laughs> word. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's stuff like, there's a neologism, I think it started in the 90s, of cisgendered. Cisgendered was never a term used before. I think it was like 1994 or something like that. Yeah, cis is like a chemistry term that means... Yeah, so cis and trans were chemistry opposites. And then transgender became a commonly used term. And then yeah. someone was like, oh, well, to describe someone who's not transgender, we'll use the word cis, which comes from science, but we're applying yeah, it's it in it's a like new... a lateral transfer of an analogous... Yeah, so I think probably the great bulk of neologisms that are successful rely on tactics like that, where there's some sort of continuity between what's been previously said and what's being currently said, but there's a novelty added to it. Yeah. And I think that's just naturally what would catch on the most. Because, yeah, like I said, if you just throw together a bunch of random letters and you're like, oh, it's called a Tamalta. Tamalta could be a brand name, maybe, you know, but it's never yeah. going to be a word for a feeling. The other things they mention as ways to do it is sometimes they're abbreviations or they are acronyms. And the example they give for acronyms I love because I didn't know this was an acronym or a neologism. That makes sense. It has to be a neologism because it's a new invention is the word laser. Laser stands for light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Laser is easy to say. It like it's a it has a uh, symmetry to it, you know, <laughs> consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, laser. It's just like some of these silly examples we're using, like mushelbulga aren't words because that's not how English people form words. And laser, it's just such a great example of a word that rolls off the tongue and there was a need for it because there was this new thing. And now it's time for Wrong Boys Dictionary Time, where we talk about words from our own personal dictionary that we wrote ourselves. We created these words, and yes, creating words is normal, okay? So just get used to it. You can create words, everyone. We're not weird. Get it's, over it's it. It's normal. Get over it. Okay, let's just flip open the dictionary, and I see utope. Ooh, oh. utope. That reminds me of the word utopia. Is it related? Very keen ear, Sean. That is related. A utope is like not a full utopia, obviously, or it would be the full word. It cuts off at utope, and that's symbolic of it being a partial step towards a utopia. Oh. It's a concrete, actionable, realizable goal that moves us forward in the direction of where we imagine utopia to be. So a utope could be anything from shortening the workday to 15 hours a week with no pay decreases for the entire population or getting food to everyone who's hungry in a city for a night. Mm -hmm. Or establishing a treaty that meant there would be no more world wars ever again. Like, that would be a great utope. Oh, yeah, Obviously, that's, a, the work, that's a wonderful one. The work's not done. I mean, that's the big thing about utopes. The work's not done. You're not like, oh, now everything's perfect. But closer to perfect overall. Yep, that's a utope, a step towards perfection. So celebrate your next utope, because they do happen. Let's play a little game. Oh, I love games. I love games, too. I understand that many people in society love games, so it's perfect <laughs> to include on the show. <laughs> What's uh, the game? What's the rules? Can't so have a game without rules. The rules are, I'm going to name a word, which the definition is self-evident to both of us. We hear it used all the time. These are all surprisingly new words. They started after the year 1800, last 200 years. I'm going to name a word, and I just want you to guess where it came from, sort of like what the origin is. And maybe you know some of them, maybe you don't. Cool. Let's do it. Let's start with the word scientist. 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 What sort of time frame? So after the year 1800, before the year 2000, it was made up. Yeah, before that, I think they called people who did things like that natural philosophers. I've heard that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to guess the second half of the 1800s, like somewhere between 1850 and 1900. 
So the word science was invented in the 1300s. Okay. Um, and then they went 500 years without the word scientist. Interesting. It was in 1834, someone named William Wewell, or Wewell, created the word scientist by mixing the word science and the word artist. Oh, yeah. See, because now I'm just like, oh, adding ist on the end of something is an obvious way to describe the person who does a thing. But that, that's funny that he would have had to go to artist to like a specific word rather than being like, oh, that's a general rule that just always makes sense. Okay. How about the word nerd? Oh, shit. 50s? 40s? Oh, you're right. The, the, the 50s. 50s. So really? the first use of the word nerd that we know of is in a Dr. Seuss book called If I Ran the Zoo, where it was used <laughs> as sort of like an absurd rhyming, you know, he did this like the yeah, bloopy yeah, yeah. bloop, went to the, the poopy scoop. <laughs> Kanye. Apparently during the 40s, there was a word nerd. A nerd was a stupid or crazy person in the 40s. Dr. Seuss came along, put the word nerd out there, picked up in the 50s, stuck around to this day. Freelance. Yeah, it makes sense to me that that's relatively new because it's a product of the modern job market where like being employed is like this state of being. And if you're not employed, but you get jobs, it's like freelance. I think before that, there would have been less of a distinction between those kinds of things. Like you show up at a hotel and be like, hey, I'll do your grass out front and you'll pay me. And then like, I, I think the formalization of work relations would have necessitated the creation of this extra category. But as to exactly when that would have come about i don't know the word freelance was invented in 1820 by a novelist named walter scott and it was in reference to a freelance like a soldier without an army a soldier without alliance who was for hire like oh, a mercenary yeah, yeah. like a mercenary right exactly and then in 1869 it began to take the figurative use so a freelance when it comes to gardening a freelance when it comes to being a journalist etc right 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 and finally um cyberspace um, 90s. I love the space metaphor of the internet. It came from a science fiction novel, the science fiction novel Neuromancer by William Gibson. Oh, I want to read that. In 1982. It's on my list. 1982. Yeah, it makes sense to be a bit, bit earlier than that. But Oh, it's something else interesting. Oh, so I was at the Etymology Online Dictionary. Highly recommend checking it out just for fun and finding out like... Where did this word come from? Yeah, they've got so much information. But one of the interesting things I found was the word feminist and its contemporary usage originated in the late 1800s, but previously, in 1620, the word feminist existed, but meant something really different. It meant a man who was a quarter of women. To be oh, a feminist okay. right, would right, be right. someone who's very interested in in courting women and being like a gallant. <laughs> oh, like a guest. So not like a player. Like, it's not like a he's a cad or something. He's a, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was more of a, I don't know. Yeah, you using the word gallant makes it seem like someone who courts a lot of women, but in a, in a good way, in like a upstanding and re respectable way and now we go to the year 2025 where one unlucky man is waking up from a seven-year coma the world around him has changed there's a new word that is everywhere it seems to be on the tips of everyone's lips can't escape this word now in 2025 it's like hello it's like saying i love you mom it's everywhere. Hello, you've reached Teledildos, 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 your Teledildos superstore. We offer Teledildos maintenance, cleaning, and sales. How can I direct your call? Yeah, hi. I just woke up from a coma, and I was wondering, could you tell me what is a Teledildo? It's totally like a Googleable thing. It's like a real thing. Huh. Yeah, I never did time. Google it, and it just got a new cell phone, but it doesn't have a data plan. And this hospital has no Wi-Fi. So can you just tell me what the word means? Like, what's a Teledildo? First it's like of all, a, it's like a dildo? You say it's stuff like data and Wi-Fi. Sound like my grandma. Yeah, I've just got out of a coma. It's, is there uh, anyone around you like a family member that could, you could explain teledildos uh, to you? All or? my family and friends are sitting around me right now, but they just kind of giggle and say everybody knows what it means and that there's one in every home and mm -hmm. that everyone, more. people use them all the time. I think what I got to put you down for here is the teledildos and teledildons package is going to get you your most basic teledildo. It's going to give you a guide that takes you through the steps. So teledildos and teledildons will tell me what a teledildo is? Absolutely. It's, it's one of the major themes. Could you describe for me how to use a teledildo sort of step by step? Oh, I'm sorry. 
sorry, it's not 2023 anymore. We've got policies against that kind of stuff. Uh, sorry, I just woke up from a coma. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, it's a little I don't polite, mean to be inappropriate. I get that you're coming from a coma and it's going to be tough yeah. for a while. Imagine going to a coma in like the year 2000. You wake up in 2008 and you don't have a cell phone. You're gonna, everyone's going to look like you like an idiot. It's the same thing with a teledildo. Yeah, but I feel like I would just tell them what a cell phone is. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just, what am I going to do? Not have a cell phone? I'll buy the teledildos and teledildos. Perfect. Okay. Three weeks later, he got his answer. Teledildonics is technology for remote sex, or at least remote mutual masturbation, where tactile sensations are communicated over a data link between the participants. The term can also refer to the integration of telepresence with sexual activity that these interfaces make possible. The term was coined in 1975 by Ted Nelson in his book Computer Lib slash Dream Machines. The term has also been less accurately, since there is no tele-element, used to refer to robotic sex, i.e. computer-controlled sex toys that aim to substitute for, or improve upon, sex with a human partner. Promoters of these devices have claimed since the 1980s that they are the next big thing in cybersex technology. He read the whole article out loud, and by the end of it, he was in complete understanding of the society he had woken up in. The end. So I wanted to just kind of like explore the landscape of new words a little bit. And so I was looking at the American Dialect Society, which is a group that designates a word of the year every year. And then they also have other categories like most useful word, most creative word, most unnecessary word. So one one of the first ones, when they first started doing this, 1992, the word not, like to mean just kidding. So it's just kind of like, oh, hey, I really like your shirt. Not. That was an American Dialect Society Word of the Year in 1992. Yeah, it's that's like an existing word put into a new grammatical context, changing its... Yeah, a lot of them are like that. Or they're like, like the two, 2016 one was dumpster fire to describe just like a giant mess of any kind. <laughs> it's just like a metaphor or an analogy that's become crystallized into those two words. One you probably haven't heard in a while, this one kind of fell off, but you'll still recognize it. Metrosexual from 15 years ago, 2003, word of the year. Mm-hmm. Metrosexual. That, that kind of just like lost its, I guess we did felt like we really didn't need a word for heterosexual men who act a bit foppish. Like yeah, it's like not heterosexual men who dress well and like yeah, take care of their physical appearance. It's, yeah, uh, it, it felt useful for a while, but it. I, I feel like it's kind of, Hasn't been. Uh, so there's ones you'd expect on there like tweet, app, hashtag. One that was really interesting to me that just disappeared was Plutoed. 2006, the word Plutoed. Do you know what that means? I, I can only guess. To be demoted or devalued as what happened to the former planet Pluto. Oh, yeah. I know that makes sense. 2006. It was a big year for planet classification. So apparently that was a thing. I don't know. I don't remember anyone saying that. but Yeah, that uh, word got Plutoed hard. One that uh, surprised me with how recent it is, is the word humblebrag, which was the most useful word, uh, according to them, in 2011. Most useful new word, humblebrag, was actually invented by Harris Whittles in 2010. He he coined that term on Twitter. He was a writer for Parks and Rec. Mm Mm-hmm. And Rest in peace, Harris. Yeah, uh, he, he died. You live on. You, you live on through your words. How do you feel about man bun as a word? I mean, I'm woke enough to know a bun's a bun. I don't want to know anything about the gender underneath that bun. So, so you agree with them that was an unnecessary word. That was 2015's most unnecessary totally word. Totally agree. It's like Merce. Most likely to succeed. Let's see how, how right they were with some of these. 2010's was trending, like as in something trending online so that definitely succeeded yeah yeah a lot of these succeeded marriage equality binge watch <laughs> salty someone's being salty that was their 2014 most likely to succeed i like that's that a one. good one yeah. yeah and then 2015 was ghost so yeah all of those succeeded yeah a lot of a lot of like the successful neologisms of our current time are based on sort of like the cyberspace realm blog spam the origin of the word spam is apparently people on old bbs forums like posting the same thing over and over again and then because early bbs users were all like big nerds it became an in joke to reference this monty python sketch where everyone keeps on saying spam all the time and oh, i don't know i haven't, I haven't right. seen it but like there's a sketch where it's like spam spam spam, <laughs> spam! 
Oh, dear, I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, 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 baked beans, spam, spam, and spam. Baked beans or all? Well, can I have spam instead? You mean spam, 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 making their Monty Python references ended up creating a term for like spamming forums or spam email. One, one other word I want to mention, this is from the Oxford. They also do a word of the year every year. And this is a word I'd never heard before, but I love. It's omnishambles. First used in the BBC political satire in the thick of it. It's just a simple compound word of the Latin prefix omni, meaning all, and the word shambles, meaning a situation of total disorder. So just like a total fucking shit show. <laughs> I prefer, there's another fairly recent neologism which comes from World War II, FUBAR, which stands for fucked up beyond all recognition. Oh, I always thought FUBAR stood for fucked up but all right. No, I've, I don't know, I've heard that before. <laughs> I mean, I learned it from Kurt Vonnegut in one of his books. He described fucked up beyond all recognition in FUBAR. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing your definition come up a lot and mine not come up at all <laughs> so uh you're right will to power baby yeah so i don't know lots of new words 2005's oxford new word was podcast podcast that's, oh, that's what we're doing it's a portmanteau of an ipod and a broadcast oh interesting people didn't know that lots so many new words so uh, many words one more thing that i would really like to trace is the evolution of the term dank meme because i find it very fascinating yeah, is yeah. At, at first like so meme uh famously invented by richard dawkins it's the mental cognitive version of a gene and they mutate they spread they want to multiply themselves in that same way like that was the metaphor he made yeah. in the book then there was this other thing in the early 2000s. They, we called it an image macro originally. You put text on an image. Often you'd put a bunch of different types of text on the same image, stuff like Philosoraptor or like Scumbag Steve or whatever. This guy who becomes an archetype of scumbaggery and then you make a bunch of different versions of like, this is a scumbaggy thing to do. This is a scumbaggy thing to do. Another really popular recent one is like the picture of a guy and his girlfriend walking. He's turned around looking at another girl and then people People label all three of those. So yeah. it's like the guy is leftists, the girl walking past is arguing with each other online, and then the girlfriend who's like kind of annoyed is like real analysis. And you're just like, oh yeah, leftists do get distracted by arguing online rather than doing real analysis. It's such a useful format. Originally we called those image macros, but then the word meme started applying to image macros, and then meme after that got even broader to refer to basically any sort of comedic image that's intended to be shared and reproduced. But then I also want to track the development of the word dank, which is fascinating, because dank started in the 1400s as a word for moisture, like a dank cave or moss or mist. But then in drug culture in the 60s and 70s, dankness began to refer to, at first, the moisture of buds of cannabis. So the idea was that like, if it's really dank, it's, it's good weed because it's really potent. Well, yeah, because anyone who smokes weed knows you don't want to smoke super, super dry weed. It makes you cough a lot. Not good. So yeah, there's like a quality association. Yeah. So dank started to refer to within cannabis culture potency. And then because of the overlaps between modern meme culture and modern cannabis culture, the dankness, meaning potency, started referring to memes. And so a dank meme is a potent image that is customizable for the purposes of facilitating the sharing of opinions or making jokes yeah and i just the the way that those two trajectories one starting in the 1400s and one starting in the 70s and you can track it earlier if you count from the original invention of the word gene which meme was based on these two trajectories which just come together in 2014 2015 something like that and then just the self-evident definition of dank meme to us and the generations younger than us pretty much no one older than us but <laughs> dank <laughs> yeah, is it's yeah. fascinating Welcome back to Wrong Boys Dictionary Time. Time for a new word that we made up. Let me just turn to this page and uh, big old dictionary. We actually wrote our own dictionary. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of new words in here, but we're only going to share a few with you. This segment is Nothing Master. Because, you know, there's a lot of people who don't do anything. There's a lot of people who do less than they should. But Nothing Masters are a very specific group of people who don't do something. It's, and this is an insult. So, so I mean, even people who are nothing masters, they have a complex personal 
life. They're full human beings, but sometimes you can be a real nothing master. And I think that's what the usefulness of this is. A nothing master is someone where it's not good enough to just not do anything themselves. They actually want to prevent other people from doing things also. That's a nothing master. Like, you know, you're a nothing hobbyist if you do nothing by yourself. But if you really want to master the zero, you got to stop other people. Say, oh, that's hopeless. You can't change the world. Oh, you'll never be good at playing the piano. Really? You're 30 and you're just starting to play the piano now. Ooh, yeah, well, you know you'll never be any good at it, right? So, kind of pointless. Can you, you imagine running that? into a piece of <laughs> shit who acts like that? I mean, it's probably easy to imagine because nothing masters are a present force on Earth. I feel that nothing master behavior comes from a deep pain in people who haven't been able to accomplish certain things that they want to accomplish. And so to see other people accomplishing things makes them sad and they try to prevent them from doing it. They deserve pity, but you know, you can't help getting angry at them. Used in a sentence, love the nothing master for they are your brother. So uh, another thing I wanted to talk about is jargon, which is kind of like a specific type of neologism. Like people use the word jargon. It's kind of a pejorative word. And it's meant to describe when people in some sort of an incestuous group <laughs> start using a lot of neologisms when they talk to each other. So you, so you can think of like there's certain jargon that cults employ in order to kind of like get people to speak and think along the same lines as everyone else in the mm -hmm. cult because you're using the jargon of the group mm -hmm. and like all sorts of academic disciplines or even just like jobs have their own jargon. Like people who are welders have a lot of words that people who aren't welders aren't familiar with and don't use mm -hmm. because they don't exist in that conceptual space very often. And uh, it, it's way worse in certain fields of academia, like in various philosophical fields fields, let's say, each will have their own sets of jargon that the further and further those jargons get away from normal speaking English, the more and more isolated that academic discipline comes from accessibility of everyday people. And that's one of the principles on our show that we've explored a lot is this idea of English to English translation and how people who are in these silos of jargon that are unable to speak to each other, how do we make them able to speak to each other? Or how do we translate jargon for audiences that aren't familiar with it? That form of communication has always been a fascination to us. That That's the bad part of jargon. And I think people intuitively get that and a lot of people really understand that. But I want to defend jargon because I think that it's a type of really important tool for exploring new conceptual spaces. So like I was saying before, this, this ability to nest concepts inside words and then use those words in more sentences and nest those inside yet another concept, it, it allows us to think really intricate thoughts using these shortcuts. And if you want to like really deeply explore any type of topic from a particular angle in your philosophical discipline, the creation of new words becomes essential and the creation of new kinds of definitions for words becomes essential because it allows you to communicate ideas with extreme specificity that just isn't available with everyday language. I just think a lot of the advancements of philosophy and a lot of the most interesting ideas that come out of philosophy, they come about because of jargon. And I think we owe jargon an apology for being so mean to it all the time. It's a double-edged sword, but it's fucking fascinating sometimes to delve into these little worlds of language and then go on a cognitive journey by reading people playing with these concepts, contorting your brain in new ways and helping you to look at things in new ways. And I think it expands our perceptions of reality and our perceptions of the world to have these enclaves of language that we can explore at will. But yeah, we definitely need to have ambassadors from inside those enclaves who can then speak out to the public and say, 
like we're talking about the discourses of materiality of futurity or whatever, but this is basically what we're talking about. Like after we spit all these words together, these academic jargon and wrote all these papers and stuff, here's some basic takeaway ideas for the public. Like that's, that's a useful person to be. And that's a, that's a good thing to have, but I don't think that could ever take the place of those enclaves. I think, I think those enclaves of new words are, are, good and they should exist. I agree with, it's a little bit of a contrary in defense of jargon because it's a really common conception in the other direction. But when you said discourses of materiality of futurity, I was agreed with you more before you said that. Because like <laughs> once, you, once you said that, I was like, damn, oh man, I actually don't like that. But here, let me play the devil's advocate, or maybe it'd be better to say I play the people's advocate because I believe the people disagree with you, mm. not the devil. Right? Isn't it in a way these words, like when you talk about the discourses of materiality and futurity, I don't even know what that really means. <laughs> Isn't that in a way like, and I feel like this is a common accusation that's maybe worth responding to, that these words are ways of controlling thought, controlling discourse, and limiting spectrums of acceptable opinion through sort of like forced definitions or, or all of these different sort of like cultural shibboleths, which together create a scenario where the discourse is altered by the inclusion of jargonistic words, which carry with them like moral implications that are outside the Overton window. Yeah. One way to frame what you're talking about here is propaganda or like new speak. Like we're making up new yeah. words. It, basically what you're describing is why new words are useful, but yeah, imagine like any that other they're tool, useful they're to useful a powerful to, person against you. Yeah, like to, that, in bad ways. Like things that are useful can generally be useful in good ways or bad ways. Mm-hmm. Like you can use a knife to cut a cake or you can use a knife to stab a baby. S- stab a baby. <laughs> Does that mean that all knives are bad? Obviously not. Like we should be on the defensive against jargon being introduced in ways that are meant to limit the range of expression rather than expand the range of expression. I think that's Mm -hmm. something always to be suspicious of. This is like a major pet peeve of mine, which is that the 1984 idea of new speak is like this new language that limits your thought by having only a limited number of words is so often used by people against social justice and leftism saying like, oh, this is new speak. They want to say that some people are cisgendered now. But it's the exact opposite of 1984, because in 1984, you can't make new words. There's only a limited, small amount of words. (laughs) Right. So creating new words to better describe your society is literally the exact opposite of Newspeak. And it (laughs) fucking drives me crazy. And if I see in a comment section some motherfucker saying that (laughs) words that are new to them, mansplaining, whatever, like... I get how that's annoying and we can call it annoying and say like, oh, I don't like having my gender associated with talking over people. Mm. And it's like, okay, yeah, that kind of sucks. That, that, that kind of sucks. I get it. But if you're saying, oh, mansplaining is part of a control of the linguistic discourse that in 10 years, we're only going to be able to talk about talking over each other in terms of mansplaining. They're going to, King Blue Hair at the top of social <laughs> justice is going to decree. Social oh, justice mountain. We no longer say excellent. We no longer say wonderful. We no longer say incredible. We always just say double plus good from now on. It's just, it's the opposite of fucking 1984. It's literally the opposite. Creating yeah, new yeah, words it, is no, the like, opposite of 1984. In my life, I've been annoyed at people saying the word mansplaining or man spreading or many portmanteaus involving man in recent years. But those words were invented in order for people, mostly women, to express experiences that they were having. So like I said, all words come into existence because there are vistas of experience that aren't being encapsulated with the words that already exist. And mansplaining, manspreading do that for people who felt that they didn't have a way to talk about these experiences they were having before. The backlash against the word and the association with the word man, like fine, those are all conversations worth having. And as long as nobody is holding a gun to your head, preventing you from critiquing some of the implications of mansplaining, I don't see what the problem is. And I think that they're fun, useful words, to be honest. And like, I've had more fun joking about mansplaining than I've ever been annoyed by people using it against me. 
Yeah, and with mansplaining specifically, I remember probably running into it the first time or a couple times being like, ah, hey, my fifis, what are you doing? But then like after a while, you start seeing like its application being useful. You're like, oh, that guy really was mansplaining. Like that's the reason that exists. And then you're like, oh, actually, this word has expanded my capacity for empathy. This and is it's also, good. Yeah, it's expanded my capacity to see a phenomenon that I didn't see before because there wasn't a word for it. Welcome to Wrong Boys, Actually Existing Neologism We Support, Radio Time. Today, we've got some real new words made up by other people. Words that you've probably heard us say before, but these are great ones. The first concept I think should be intuitive for a lot of people, is certainly intuitive for me, but having a word for it, I found is really powerful. It's actually from the book, Inventing the Future. The term is synthetic freedom. It arises from the idea that a formal freedom, like me saying, like, you have the freedom to travel anywhere in the world you want with your passport. That freedom itself is not truly free unless you have the material ability to act out that freedom. So a truly synthetic freedom is having both a freedom to have things that are necessary and a freedom from things that would try to impede you. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. Like formal freedom just meaning like if you do this, the police aren't going to stop you, probably. That's a formal freedom means. Like you and I have the formal freedom to hold a rock concert. The police probably aren't going to stop us from booking the stadium and getting guitars and doing a rock concert. But we don't have the synthetic freedom to do that because we don't have enough money to book the stadium. That's a silly example, but... (laughs) (laughs) Abstract freedom is not complete without also the material ability to fulfill that freedom. So you have a right to a fair trial, but you don't have a right to the best lawyer. Synthetic freedom would be having the right to a fair trial and the best lawyer. Another great term that demonstrated its usefulness to me immediately, and I started using it all the time, was using the word allergy in the sense of some idea or way of phrasing something that just gets under my skin for ideological reasons or for reasons of people I associate the idea with. If like every time you hear someone say uh, from each according to their ability to each according to their needs, you kind of cringe a little bit and it's just an immediate reaction, that's an allergy. And like recognizing where you have allergies is super useful. Mm -hmm. One of the really great things about it is that it's intuitively useful that when you hear it in practice, like, oh, sorry, you know, I've got an allergy to political violence. I have an allergy to people quoting Milton Friedman, but I do think the point you made is fine. Another term from Inventing the Future that stuck with me is a sort of a slight tweak on the idea of diversity of tactics. Ecology of tactics or an ecosystem of tactics is they relate to each other. So they're distinct, but they relate to each other. And I feel like this is such a powerful concept when you're thinking about large scale social change. Yeah, like thinking about Uh, it as an ecology is like, do these benefit each other? Are they working together in some way to form a cohesive whole? Yeah, and diversity of tactics to me is really strongly associated with like being a euphemism for a specific couple tactics I could name. Yeah. Whereas ecology of tactics, I really feel like has this openness to it and that creativity is encouraged. But then also awareness of like, where are we going as a group? My subsection has its own tactic, but we're all aiming towards a more perfect society together. So I want to make sure that my tactic has minimal impact on other people's tactics. Like you want to be a responsible steward within an ecosystem. Stewardship. I like like that. Yeah. Another great one. Reality tunnel. This is created by Robert Anton Wilson. I think it was was Timothy Leary, but the two of them were very into this topic. So reality tunnel is like, we, we all know that the ideas we have about the world kind of color our perceptions and how we interpret things that happen. And so everybody, based on what kind of ideas you have in your head, have a bit of a different version of reality that they inhabit. So, you know, you visualize that as a tunnel and you are in a reality tunnel. Reality tunnels can intersect, like you can have overlapping reality tunnels, but overall, like they're tunnels, they're separate from each other. And I feel like that's sort of accurate. Like it's a really psychedelic metaphor, but it feels really potent to me. And like (laughs) just experiencing your own sense perceptions 
primarily sort of through your eyes. There's like this feeling of a tunnel mm-hmm. that it, that's intuitive to me. Like your your eyes see in one direction and like yeah, yeah. It, and I think like I think your reality tunnel could be very similar to someone else's reality tunnel. Like uh, you and I probably have very similar reality tunnels. We talk all the time. We influence each other's ideas, and it creates even more overlap. So it's like we see things the same way a lot of the time. But the way the tunnel metaphor is powerful for me, besides what you just said, is that you can't see outside of a tunnel. Like, that's the whole point of thinking about a tunnel is like, Mm -hmm. it's this straight ahead thing. And like everything that's off to the sides or outside of the tunnel are not within your realm of vision. So it's, it's a limiting metaphor. And it's about how your preconceived ideas of reality limit your perceptions in certain ways. I feel like that's such an important thing to internalize is just admitting that everyone only sees part of it. This has been actual, really existing neologisms created by other people that we wrong boys support and wish to advocate and further spread. Segment. Segment. On with the show. On with the show. And it is time again for, you guessed it, Wrong Boys Dictionary Time. Oh boy, I can't wait for the next word from our dictionary that we wrote ourselves. Open it up. Dictionary. Uh, next word. Identity kit. Oh, that's a great one. Oh, I love identity kit. Great new word that we made up. So identity kit is when you're thinking about like how, you know, you have a friend who just decided they were a communist recently. They've read a few things about communism. They say, I'm a communist. And then all of a sudden you notice there's all these other trappings of being a communist that your friend starts to engage in. You know, they got the hammer and sickle profile picture up all of a sudden. They know these new words like proletariat, kulak, means of production. There's a whole accoutrement that comes with having the identity of a communist and that's your identity kit it's like this pre-prepared package that you get every time you take on a new identity and so uh, you can have multiple identity kits you can change your identity kit as life goes on and often people do it's a common story of like you're a young idealistic liberal or radical and then as you get older you decide oh i'm going to take off this identity kit put the you know, conservative family man identity kit on. And even if I maintain some of my old idealism, my identity kit is changing. Um, And I think each time you put on a different identity kit, you sort of get a different reality tunnel. Yeah, they're definitely interrelated. So that's identity kit. Use at will. (laughs) Welcome back to... Aaron, everybody. That's a talk show. I'm your host, Aaron Moritz. And today we are talking to Janine Ronaldo, who up until recently ran a school for evil boys and girls who made up new words. But uh, from what I understand, Janine, you've got a revelation for everyone. I've had a total 180, Aaron, and thanks for having me on. I realize now that it wasn't evil boys and girls, it was an evil school for normal boys and girls. Wow. It was actually me participating in the horrific suppression of creativity, renewal, growth, and beautiful naivety. I've had a lot of breakthroughs this year. So, So you don't hate children any longer? No, and actually, in fact, why should anyone who hates children run a school? I always wondered that about you, but you know, I didn't want to say anything because it didn't seem polite. Well, it was good that you didn't mention it because I wasn't ready and then I discovered myself. So I, and I love what you're saying about taking the beautiful naivety back for ourselves because I think that's the link between loving children and loving new words is mm. that naivety, that freshness, that newness, the next stage of humanity. That unfolding, right? The next generation will go places that we've never seen and to truly appreciate that renewal and growth. And yes, that beautiful naivety that would even dare to create a word. I've totally changed my school. Now it actually has an opposite purpose. It's to encourage the creation of new words. Uh, Well, these kids are going to need new words for all the new experiences that are coming for the next generation. So I I say I fully support it. Thank you so much for being on the show, Janine. And uh, that's a wrap. Aaron is over. End End of the talk show. And now it's time for Wrong Boy's Dictionary time. That's right. One last word. 
Sean, what do we got? This word is big. It takes up a whole page. It's underlined and highlighted. The word is irony poisoning. So now irony poisoning means that you participate in ironic comedy so much and you're so boundary violating that you actually have a political position that becomes degraded and becomes less wholesome, less moral. You kind of lose yourself in the act of the irony and the thing that you were ironically saying, you kind of start to believe it. The poison of the things that you're mocking with your irony seeps into your veins and it becomes part of who you are. Some of you are probably saying like, hey, I know this word. You didn't make it up. But actually, I'm like really, really sure that we did make it up and we have evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is a word that if you haven't heard it before, it actually has quite a web footprint now. It's a commonly used word. Yeah, you said it was on like The Intercept and like other big... Yeah, so it's been used now to describe one of the ways that the alt-right recruits is through using ironic comedy to get people acclimatized to ideas. Yeah. And then eventually they end up embracing those. So it starts off being ironically racist. The poison of the ironic racism enters their veins and they become actually racist. So the evidence that we made it up, if you don't believe us, is if you search up irony poisoning on Google. The number one result is an Urban Dictionary article made in March of 2014 by us, which is also the earliest instance of irony poisoning on the entire internet. And I've combed all of the Google results. Sean did a lot of searching on this. He was feverish when he first realized this might have been something that we made up. Because he asked me too, he was like, do you remember irony poisoning? I was like, yeah, I always thought you made that up, but now everyone says it. I feel like we were the first ones, but who knows? I don't know. And Sean was like, well, I'm going to find out. And Because like, (laughs) if you did make up a word that people start using, then it's incredible. Like, number one, neologisms work. They're worth pursuing. And then number two... I've got something new for my resume. Like permanently, I've, <laughs> I've affected human conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are earlier examples of the use of the word irony poisoning or like those combo of words before March of 2014. But it was always in the context of like, oh, that's so ironic. I'm going to die of irony poisoning. The Catholic Church is scolding pedophiles. <laughs> I'm going to die of irony poisoning. Right. Completely different definition. <laughs> the definition that we created is the number one on Google, the first earliest use on Google. And it's also had an insane amount of traffic the last two years as people have started using the word irony poisoning. So even if there's a bit of a feedback loop and we only have partial credit, it's definitely true that we've shaped the word irony poisoning yeah, and how it's definition, actually used. Because people who Google it now always see the definition by us. And we were first, motherfucker. And I'm so proud. I was so excited about this. I was so happy about this. Like the next day I crashed. Like I felt just like shit the next day. I was like, I'm never going <laughs> to. Never going to top <laughs> making a, a new word that people actually started using and it spread out. And because it was useful and described a real cultural phenomenon that not just was happening, but was just starting. Like you made up the word for it, like just as this thing was like, really starting to happen and people were starting to notice that it was happening and so it became much more useful soon after so yeah it's just ideally timed i'm proud like navarro media is proud of fully automated luxury communism i'm proud like richard dawkins is proud of the word meme i want to bring this up partially to brag and also partially to share my glee because like just so happy and then also partially to encourage you to believe it's possible to impact the discourse through the creation of new words I feel like I have all the evidence I need that it's possible. It just shows that new words are useful and you can leave tools lying around all over the place. And then if you happen to invent one that is really useful for people, lots of people are going to pick it up and start using it. And you can always be like, I made up that tool. And it's a beautiful thing. Like, for example, we invented this tool in 2014. It laid around for a couple of years. And then in 2017, people are like, oh, shit, this is exactly what we need to combat this problem that we have. And like... it's incredible. And neologisms are incredible. Well, they serve such an incredible purpose. Like they can do so much, I think. And like the combination of words, fully automated luxury communism, arguably changed the trajectory of human society because it's such a powerful meme. And it's mm. so oh, good. Yeah, like yeah. it just subverts these contradictions that we think of in politics and says like, no, we're going to do fully automated luxury communism. And it's like, that's so different. It describes something that people want. And like in that same way, like literally the definitions you put up on Urban Dictionary, the words that you use when you're in comment section arguments can change the trajectory of humanity, sometimes in small ways and sometimes in big ways. And you can help us better describe our chains and better describe the direction out of oppression towards universal human liberation. That's what neologisms are. 
they're beautiful little keys and just sometimes they happen to fit in the locks on your handcuffs and then you're free baby then you can walk out into the world and just be like damn finish this episode put this one in the can it's done with no man we got 10 more minutes that was always in the maybe pile for me. I just feel like this was a great note to end on. Well, you're being a bad dad right now. And it just, it's so weird because I don't see you that way. Mm. We're setting an example for our boys right now. And the example we're setting is, oh, you can plan out 10 more minutes of content. And then you just, oh, I'm tired. Like, well, I'll throw it. Like, what sort of responsibility does that teach? It was about being tired. It was about knowing when to leave gracefully instead well, of hanging around till three in the morning. Do you want to be the dad who's passed out on the couch at 3 a.m.? Do you want to be the dad who does an Irish goodbye and just disappears? Or do you want to be a dad that respectfully closes and finishes the chapter with everything that was planned? Well, first I want to be a dad who doesn't abuse Irish stereotypes. But second, oh, I you've never be, like you've never said Irish goodbye. Oh, poor Irish. You're being a bad dad. Don't raise your fist like that at me. Well, I'm getting prepared to physically fight you if you don't end this show. Well, so I have to raise fight my you fist. If you're being a bad dad, that's no problem at all. Okay, well, let's just begin the fight. I'll punch uh, you in the uh, face. I'll use my right fist and no. ha- oh, that's, uh, that's what a bad dad deserves. I'm gonna punch Ooh. you out Ow. the door Ooh, of out. the building. Ooh. Ooh. Boom, right in the nose and the kisser. The dads continued fighting each other for some time. As they punched and moved and ducked and weaved around each other, they moved closer and closer and closer to the dads from the first segment who were fighting over the new word, calling each other bad dads until they eventually crossed paths. What are you guys fighting about? We're fighting about how he's a worse dad than me. Really? We're fighting about how he's a worse dad than me. (laughs) What the? Why is this happening? It's so funny. So you're both fighting about who's a worse dad. Yeah, and you're also both fighting about who's a worse dad. Yeah, this guy's a way worse dad than me. (laughs) You're telling me about this guy. He's a way worse dad than me. This is wild. This is really something. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, what started the fight for you guys? Well, he was spending three months making a new word instead of providing for our family. Can you imagine? A new word. A new, How completely pointless. Oh, man. What new word did he create? Oh, it was uh, irony poisoning. We, we invented, invented irony poisoning, poisoning you, you ugly, ugly bastards. bastards. We're, We're not ugly. ugly. You're ugly. And I he invented it. it. Oh, oh yeah, 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 you, you want to fight, fight about, about it? it? Yeah, you fucking losers. We invented we this word. We take a claim to ass. it. And you, and you, you know gotta what? Fuck he off. may be a worse dad than me, but yeah, you're, you're both ugly, worse dads than both of dads. us. You guys are the worst dads. dads. You guys are the stupidest, ugliest ugly dads. dads I've ever Shut seen. Up. Shut Neither up. Neither of you invented that word. Shut he invented up. that word. Go kill yourself. <laughs> you kill yourself because you're a bad dad. Oh, physically fight you, you little bastard. Oh, that one looks weak in the knee. Hit him. Punch. Punching time. Take that, bad dad. And so all four dads fought late into the night until they tuckered themselves out, fell asleep in a park, and woke up the next morning feeling a little wrung out but refreshed. And they all went home to check on their sons. I'm home, son. Oh, hey, dads. Hey, uh, you guys were out all night. Yeah, sorry, son. We were out for a long time. We were, <laughs> this is embarrassing. We were physically fighting. Oh, dads, you're physically fighting. Oh, no. Did yeah. you finish the podcast episode you were working on yesterday? Uh, well, almost, son. We've got just a few more minutes left. Oh, why didn't you finish it seven minutes ago? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a hell of a story. I've been sitting down on my knee. Here sure, you go. Dad. Love sitting on your knee. Whoa, whoa, you're getting big. Mm, stop it. Oh, no <laughs> offense. I mean, me. tall, tall. You're you're a tall, but strong boy. And I'm so proud to be your dad. Oh, thank you. So if people want to contribute to the podcast, where can they go to do that? And what do they get if they contribute? That is a great question. Thanks for asking. I mean, as you know, we try to do the show every week. And one of the best ways that people can help keep that happening and support the show is becoming a beautiful genius monthly donor, $6 a month or more. And you're going to get access to our back catalog of bonus episodes. Wow. We've got a secret Facebook group. We've got other benefits and surprises around the corner. And we appreciate it so much. So thanks for bringing that up. Even I'm not allowed in the secret Facebook group. So that's that's really something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just tussling your hair here. Dad, if this is the end of the episode, then what happens next? 
Well, you know what we say, son, subscribe to survive, pass it on to your friends, talk about it. Just I'll get out of your room and then there'll just be silence in the room and you'll go to sleep and that'll be the end. It's just cold silence up, up until morning. Okay, dad. You give your dad a kiss on the cheek. Yay. I love you, dad. Oh, I love you too, son. Okay. You have a restful night. This can't be right, right? Next time on Seriously Wrong, more teledildonics discourse. A report in the Chicago Tribune in 1993 suggested that teledildonics was the virtual reality technology that may one day allow people wearing special bodysuits, headgear, and gloves to engage in tactile sexual relations from separate, remote locations via computers connected to phone lines. We're really going to get to the bottom of this stuff.